0: remembering that all impulses and urges are controllable. So I always I always use this analogy, but how often in their day do they get the urge to just tell their boss to fuck off? But how often do they do it? It's a strong urge, like the same way that I might get a really strong urge to go right in on a six pack of donuts. But I can choose not to, and you can choose not to. Hello and
1: welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. As we are rapidly approaching Christmas and it's a busy time of the year, we thought we'd focus on an episode that was focused around health, well-being and nutrition to give us something to focus on during the busy periods and to, to take us over into January 2022. So this week's guest is Jacob van Hoff, who is a personal trainer. He's also a fully qualified nutrition coach as well. And his goal is to help as many people as possible transform their body. He's worked with multiple professional athletes as well as normal people like you or I from regular jobs as well. So he's got a wealth of experience and we touch upon various bits of fitness impulsive eating a whole load of nutritional information in here as well so enjoy this episode we'll put another one out uh, just after Christmas as well uh, and that takes our total number of episodes this year close to 50 so you know, 2022 is going to be a great year we're going to have more episodes more guests and thank you for sticking with us and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode
0: On the surface, we at Lamb Weston are a leading global frozen potato product provider, but hospitality is in our roots. We are helping to chip away the stigma of mental health in the industry and truly believe in wellbeing through potatoes, which is why we are in full support of the Burnt Chef project. If you want to find out more about how we provide wellbeing through the humble potato, or try a free sample of our award-winning products, such as our proper British chips The Dukes Follow us on Instagram at Lamb UK. Jacob, hello, hi, how are we doing? Very well, sir. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. Uh, I'm off on off on holiday this week, so uh, uh, having a lovely, relaxed week in Edinburgh. Oh, lovely,
1: nice. What have you got much planned?
0: Uh, a lot of eating. A lot of eating. Um, we. Uh, Yeah, basically something pretty food-related for uh, the majority of the week. You're a foodie at heart then, hey? Massively. Um, It's, uh, I would say, it it probably just about overtakes my um, sort of uh, passion for fitness and nutrition. Um, I'm a bit obsessive. Uh, Probably talk to me about the UK food scene for... Hours and hours, um, yeah.
1: Nice, nice. Well, I mean, we're we're just. I think we'll just roll straight into it because um, I I feel that this is going to be quite a fluid conversation. But the premise of it usually is is to find out a little bit about your 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 background and find out who you are. um But also, I'd like to. I would like to learn more, and I'm sure the listeners would like to learn more about your journey within you know, working with chefs within personal fitness, within nutrition, and to try and understand, especially from being a foodie yourself and trying to understand your work that you've done with individuals in the hospitality trade, what exactly is it that, that makes, you know, that makes our well uh, difficult and, and what can we do to change it? So, I mean, how long have you been doing, uh, what you've been doing for? Uh,
0: how old am I about five, six years, five, six years um and yeah in terms of working as a nutritionist it'd be five six years uh i've worked as a personal trainer from 2018 the start of 2018 uh, and recently we myself and my partner moved to just working remotely with clients um so nothing in person Uh, We manage kind of the bigger picture for our clients, uh, be that um, their diet, their training. Um, We place quite a lot of emphasis on, um, yeah, you you could call it the bigger picture. So, you know, a lot of my clients will be doing things like meditation, journaling, uh, a gratitude journal, uh, and really looking at how all of those things tie in. Um, Probably... My clients, uh, their biggest or the most common client I work for struggles a little bit with their relationship with food. Um, A lot of them from the way that we are also quite like to eat out. So that that can be quite a a challenge for them. How they balance wanting, maybe they have sort of aesthetic goals or just a, a, a way that they want to feel even. Uh, and they're struggling to balance doing that eating out enjoying their diet while having fitness and nutrition goals um so a big part of our uh, practice i guess you could call it is uh, working on people's relationships with food uh, encouraging them to um enjoy their diet not to become too overbed with with stressing over um i guess the minutiae uh, to be quite frank,
1: yeah, I mean there's so many different diet fads out at the at the moment, such as you know do you put yourself on a shake diet or do you just do the paleo or the keto, or you know what is it that you need to do that's going to make you thin and make you look great because everyone wants to be a you know in a model or whatever it might be i think we we as a society have perhaps got away a little bit from the fact that we're all about extrinsic value at this moment like how do we look to others it's not about how do we feel ourselves um but it is also you know ultimately the and, and from my understanding having done um a lot of fitness in the past is you need to burn more than you put into your body and you need to be able to do it sustainably without yo-yoing and making your body feel like it's lacking in the thing so that it grabs hold of it with two hands and then stores it.
0: Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, certainly from a fat loss point of view, you'd have to burn more than you, you take in. Um, I think sometimes one of my slight bugbears with nutrition is that just a lot of the focus on nutrition is exclusively about fat loss. So even like the first statement that you, you've said there is you have to burn more than you take in. Well, only if you want to lose weight, and and I I think, uh, as in my industry, certainly, uh, being the fitness and, and well-being industry, we need to actually start talking a lot more about not just fat loss, not just weight loss. Yes, there's an obesity epidemic, and there's a lot of people who do potentially need and want to lose weight, but there's also lots of people out there who are perfectly healthy weights, but are just bombarded with fat loss and weight loss, and... Love Island stars and etc. And it becomes, well, I probably should be losing weight, shouldn't I? Because everyone else seems to be. Um, and, you know, I've got clients who regularly, or I regularly have clients come January each year who have no need or desire or goals that revolve around weight loss, but yet they get pulled into it. They're like, J- Jake, maybe I should be dieting because everyone else seems to be. I'm like, no, you're sweet. You enjoyed Christmas, but in the right way, you may have gained a few pounds, but when you actually give yourself full permission to enjoy your diet, and you've done that for the whole year, you don't rip the arse out of it at Christmas in the same way. Most people spend most of the year kind of eating, or telling themselves they should be eating a certain way, kind of yo-yoing in that whole journey. Come December, they decide to write the whole thing off and go, oh, I'm going full-blown, right, lack of a better word, fuck it mode. And come January, they're in an absolute overindulged state where they feel like they need to diet. My clients are encouraged to enjoy their diet all year. And subsequently, come Christmas, they're like, well, yeah, there is a bit more food, but I'm not restricted. I've been doing this all year. Sure, they, they eat more over Christmas, but it's not to the same degree um, and that, that, that's kind of what I like to empower all of my clients to do is that, is that, you know, actual full permission to enjoy your diet and to eat and it sh- shocking as it may be given that responsibility as an adult, because I think we have to remember that people are adults. I like, I, I think people have a view of nutritionists and personal trainers that they're going to, you know, crack the whip and be like, this is how you need to eat now. Like my relationship with clients is like, you're an adult, I'll give you some guidance and like where maybe ideal would be. But at the end of the day, you have always got a decision over this and I'm not going to tell you off if you don't do it. Um, And I I think that comes back to, you know, uh, when we start talking about the hospitality industry, who who am I to tell my clients who work in that industry who have got up for a 7.30 shift and finished at midnight, that they need to exercise more. Mm. If they can balance it on their days off, or if they can make time for it somewhere, great. But I'm not going to lecture them about it on those days because, Christ Almighty, like that's a long shift.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and there's there's not just physical exhaustion, but yeah, mental exhaustion is is quite a. a a big thing and burnout within our industry is quite huge as well so hmm. and that's one of the questions that we get asked a lot is like you know we talk about mindfulness and we talk about the the can do attitude so that's you know communication activity being nice to people uh, discovering new things and observing your uh, observing your world so mindfulness right and we say that try and fit an hour of this in as a combined thing every single day When people go well, I wake up. I've had three hours sleep. I go to a shift. I'm doing my shift, and then I finish. I get home. I see the kids, and and put them to bed. And I've not literally got much time for myself. So, like, how do people try and implement some healthy, you know, even if it is just nutrition or or exercise, how do they fit that in, and what can they do if they are struggling for time?
0: It's it's really hard. It depends on where they are in their journey and it, it, it does sometimes come down to a sort of a decision point of uh, i think you'll be the same i i, I run my own business and, and there's moments in my career already I'm, I'm quite young but there's moments in my career where it's been like you know some of the balls have to drop because we've got a lot in the air um and just having that that, that sometimes is the case. I've worked with clients who uh, have opened their own restaurants and, you know, it's all hands on deck for, and it, and it is almost just a, a bit of a, everything else needs to be sacrificed and, and compromised. Um, and I'm not going to come on this podcast and kind of say, you know, everyone can find time. Some people in your industry, in the hospitality industry cannot find time other than on their days off. And, um, and in that scenario, what I'd be saying is, what can we do on your days off to uh, have a more productive week in general? So, are we finishing that last shift by getting absolutely shit faced and subsequently being written off for two days of your three days off? If it is three days off, it might only be two. Um, and then only having time to literally get back to. Not even baseline, really, but something that could potentially survive another five or four days, whichever working week they're in. Um, so how are we starting that little period of time off? I get it like you're going to want to let some steam off, but understanding the knock-on effect of that and and the cumulative effect of weeks after week after week after week of just barely scraping by with energy. That needs to be addressed. How am I actually feeling from doing that? Um, So, potentially not starting the days off getting shit faced. Looking at does your business that you work for or own give you scope to potentially um, bring your own food in if that's, you know, the only way that you're going to get good nutrition? I would personally be saying I'd want, I know. I've listened to a lot of the Burnt Chef uh, sort of podcasts and I I hope I've interpreted what kind of your um, purpose is, which is more on a industry and business level to make change than necessarily on an individual level. I'm just going to close this window because I've been having a lot of fun. Um, So in that scenario, can we look at, you know, a little break during prep time for lunch service where people could, you know, grab some food or or, or provide some food, whether that be something like overnight oats or whatever. Um, and then Staff Meal having some thought behind it. Um, I know I listened to your episode with Sat Baines. Uh, I don't imagine that it was super expensive for his for his business to have taken on. A cons- sorry, to have hired on in a consultancy role a nutritionist, even as a one-off consultancy, to give them a run-through of, right, what sort of meals can we be making for our staff meal that is going to fuel them with sort of slow-release energy and have them not really hitting peaks and troughs, not having lulls, not having to thrive exclusively off adrenaline, caffeine and other substances and potentially because of that because they're in a more level zone are they as wired are they as overstimulated by the end of service don't get me wrong like i'm not i'm not a chef so i can't say like oh maybe it doesn't have to be quite as sort of uh adrenaline fueled because i'm sure when shit hits the fan and they're really in a hole during service everything gets very over Sort of stimulating, and everything becomes very adrenaline fueled, um, and subsequently, yeah, it's going to tie into their sleep later that night. Um, I'm rushing ahead a little bit, but I, I know one of the issues, obviously, is going to be that a lot of chefs are just really overstimulated by the end of their sh- shifts, and subsequently, the amount of sleep they get is piss poor. And subsequently, if they're trying to get, if they if they could get up early and do some exercise for example they just won't because they've not been able to sleep for 3 hours after they got home
1: you well i mean for someone that's not in the industry uh, have you worked in hospitality at, at all during your
0: not in any way shape or form but uh like i say a couple of my a couple of my clients own restaurants and um friends own restaurants and are in hospitality and uh i am i, I am pretty obsessive chris pretty obsessive mm-hmm um i i love i love food i love eating out i love i'm actually a little bit obsessed with the hospitality industry in general um i find the whole thing fascinating i find what goes into making a top restaurant or uh you know delivering a, a, a top meal um absolutely fascinating uh the the training where people have have cut their teeth and how that's impacted their style of food and all that stuff like my partner will say to me, "Oh, um, this uh, I've heard of this restaurant." I'll be like, "Oh, the chef there's X, and they trained under blah blah blah, and that's why their style of food is like this." And she's like, "You're not okay. You're not okay at all."
1: Yeah. It's good though. Like I think that's. So I was having a conversation today with a friend, and he said to me, "The role of the Burn Chef Project is to turn an industry into a profession." And so rather than us talking about being in the hold of this industry that churns us in and puts us out, it's a profession. And to hear Mm -hmm. members of the public and, and, you know, people who are experiencing the pride and the passion that we put out onto, you know, onto the plates or in our drinks or in our service and actually actively taking an interest in that means that there's many people out there who would be like Jake. Come and eat at our restaurant because we would we would love to have that appreciation and that you actually taken not just the time to turn up and to enjoy it but to learn about like what's going on as well. It's yeah, it is a fantastic um, fantastic profession. I'm not going to use the word industry from this point forward. It's a fantastic profession and it's full of diverse and creative people. But as you say, in this environment we get in the grip. And the grip is is where our stress levels are elevated. Whether that is, you know, whether you have a great work life balance in hospitality and you're doing four hours, uh, four days, and three days off, um, you know, you've got a great employer. There's no getting away from the fact that stress is prevalent within this trade because of the demands on time and control and all the other stuff that's going on. There's a lot of moving plates, so. How do people break that cycle? Because I know myself that when I'm stressed, instantly want a carb load. Give me the sugariest, fattest, whatever it is. I want to feel full. I want to feel happy. I want to feel like satisfied. Like, how do you actively get your clients to break that cycle and go, okay, see what you're feeling? It's like emotional intelligence, I guess it is, isn't it? Really?
0: Yeah. Um. So. That's. I guess that's a two-part question, um, which is, um, how do you stop the impulse? Um, and, and that that applies to all my clients. You know, uh, every single one of them ex- will experience, and I think we all experience emotional uh, triggers towards food. I'm sad. I'm happy. I'm stressed, etc. Um, so in those scenarios, it's it's about pressing pause a little bit and and that is a skill in itself. So can we slow down your breathing? Can we actually have a little uh, little bit of logical thought? Because often, and I'm speaking more on a general level with my clients. Maybe clients who struggle a little bit more with overeating when they get emotional um, and a more general population. Uh, but everything speeds up a little bit. Um, oh what a so angry about this blah 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 right that cupboard bar that food and, and it's gone and they're already eating it and it's already and then five minutes later potential remorse or guilt or whatever it is um and in the hospitality industry it may not be remorse or guilt it may just be that they then feel crap half an hour later um so that's the first thing is just slowing things down actually taking a little pause um to slow your thoughts down, to kind of control your breathing and not get into a real um, adrenaline, um, spare of the moment kind of thing. Um, remembering that, and, and I think we forget this with food, remembering that all impulses and urges are controllable. So I always, I always use this analogy, but how often in their day do they get the urge to just tell their boss to fuck off? But how often do they do it? It's a strong urge, like the same way that I might get a really strong urge to go right in on a six pack of donuts, but I can choose not to, and you can choose not to, and it's coming back to why do you choose not to tell your boss to fuck off? Well, because it has some serious ramifications which you don't want to experience. So then we come into the second part of the question is, why do you want to eat this food and not want to eat this food? So... You want to eat, let's just call it the donuts. You want to eat donuts because they're really tasty. They're probably quite convenient right now. Um, and, you know, they well, yeah, they're really tasty. They're probably going to make you feel really good as you eat them because you're going to get like a dopamine hit. Um, so, how can we shift to I don't want to eat the donuts and I do want to eat this thing, I don't know, staff meal or um, some food that you've prepared, or um, I'm going to nip to the supermarket and get something that's convenient? Two, but maybe is going to be slightly better than if I ate the donuts. Um Well, I do want to eat these because they make me feel better. And the knock-on effect of that is X and X and X and X. And, you know, it's not an easy sell. It isn't an easy sell. Eat the slightly less enjoyable food that maybe takes more effort. And, you know, maybe even more expensive. And that's the reality of eating well is often it takes more time. It doesn't taste quite as good. And it's more expensive. That's a really hard sell. Um, but ultimately, cumulatively, I function better. I'm in a better mood. Which means that I don't get angry at other people. Which means that because they because I don't get angry at them, they don't get angry at me. Which means my life goes better. Um, there's a really funny... I, I don't know what the clip's from. But it's like something about... Um, and it's a little bit contrary to what, what you've just said in terms of craving carbs. But it's... Um, I eat carbs because they make me happy and when I'm happy I'm nice and when I'm nice to other people they're nice to me and when they're nice to me I'm happy and it's like a recurring thing it's about like you know low carb diets typically make people pretty miserable um so and and I guess I guess that's a good place um just to kind of pick up a little bit is you know carbs don't have to be a bad thing um I think carbs can get really demonized um, in terms of uh, certainly the nutrition industry. I would say they're what I would call less evidence-based nutrition industry right now. Um, So I'm very rooted in science in where the research is right now um, and what the leading practitioners are doing. Um, I've got mentors who are kind of the top nutritionists in the world and you know, there's a lot going on about sugar. Um, and so I'm going to take, say, two slightly contradictory statements here, which is that firstly, sugar is not inherently bad and we shouldn't be petrified of it. Um, the way it's broken down in our body is very similar, whether it's an apple or whether it's some gummy candy. It, well, apple's probably a bad example because it's more fructose. But, and fructose is actually in, inherently worse than glucose. But that again, a separate matter. So if you just looked at the chemical composition of an apple in terms of the sugar, it's technically worse than gummy candy, right? It's not inherently bad. Like I don't have meltdowns every time that I eat apples, bananas, or gummy sweets, or any of them. The same, I don't have meltdowns when I eat white rice. Like, It's more about the overall picture of the diet. And actually the analogy, um, I was speaking to, a friend who's a chef um, in preparation for this podcast kind of just going over a little bit more of like if I say this as a solution sort of thing it does that actually fit with your business is that actually implementable anyway one of the things I was saying is the reason I think that sugar gets such a bad rap is that people and I've already kind of covered this earlier people generally fall into two camps which is that they eat like a dumbass or they eat pretty good And when they're eating pretty good, they eat a lot less sugar. And when they eat like a dumbass, they eat almost nothing but sugar. So you feel crap when you eat lots of sugar and processed foods and etc. etc. And you feel pretty good when you're eating loads of whole foods. But actually, if you eat lots of whole foods, and then don't stress if you have a chocolate bar, even every single day, like if you just have like a one of those normal bars of dairy milk, like the single serving ones, if you had one of those every single day, but you were eating five to seven portions of fruit and veg, lots of whole grains, some healthy fats, a decent amount of protein, you would be significantly healthier and feel significantly better than 99.9% of the population. And happy because you're eating the chocolate bar every day. So that's kind of the premise of my views on nutrition. Um, The second part of that is to say that sugar is not a great option when you're about to do a long shift as a chef. Um, And I think that is worth noting. But I, I would personally recommend some carbohydrates before a long shift for a chef. Like before a, what is it, a typical dinner service, which will be the longest shift, would be running would they start about four thirty in terms of like maybe getting prepped
1: yeah i mean depending on when your mise en place is done but you could say that anywhere between four thirty to 6 o'clock you'd start and then you'd finish your service last course as well, anywhere between 9 and 10 possibly even later in some venues and then obviously you've got cleaned out afterwards so really you're not going to be finished for a good eight so hours
0: yeah so we'll say an eight hour eight hours um I'd I'd recommend some carbohydrates in there. Um I'd be recommending just the the composition of that meal to create a slow release environment. So when we have protein and when we have fats included in a meal, it slows the digestion of the composite factors. Um I don't even know if that's a a, a decent statement composite factors. I think that might just be waffle that's come out of my mouth. Um <laughs> Well, the, you, 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 we'll the component. we'll call it the component factors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can sometimes just say things really convincingly and nobody bats an eyelid. I'm like, that was waffle right there. Um, Wait, that's life. That's life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so say you have even white rice, so something that's typically seen as pretty average from a nutritional point of view, if that had some some fats with it and some protein and some vegetables... That turns into a pretty slow release meal. I'd be quite surprised if someone had a, you know, small to medium amount of rice with something that contains some protein, some fats, some vegetables, and enough of that food subsequently to, from like a caloric point of view and just a volume point of view to fill them up. I'd be surprised if they were flagging by the end of a shift, you know? Um, and maybe that's, you, you know, I think, um, sat sat spoke a lot on on the podcast about nutrition i think he has more of a bias towards a low carb high fat diet um and kind of as you said at the start of this podcast um everyone has their views on nutrition and what works for one person might not work for another person um and we all have a genetically individual sort of species uh, not species but um creatures um so Finding, I function pretty good on a high-fat diet, um, but the majority of my clients don't. They actually work better on carbs, which is no surprise because it's the human body's primary source of fuel. Um, And and I I think that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. I've just waffled a fair amount, but carbohydrates are the body's main fuel source. If you try to create too slow release of an environment by reducing carbohydrates, you open yourself up potentially to a lull because you're trying to force the body to run on fat when it's not used to that so say someone like sat for example i think eats a generally low carb diet a lot of the time his body's going to be like fats i love fats i have fats all the time and it's kind of adapted to that environment if his staff for example aren't used to that and then go into a high fat meal their body's going to be like where's that energy i usually have from carbohydrate and it's actually probably going to be a little bit pissy about it um so it i guess it's you know not having a straight answer for every person which isn't a good answer for sort of making a staff meal which is but that's where you play it safe that's where you you go probably with the carbohydrates but a moderate amount of fat and making sure that it's a generally slow release meal um yeah
1: it's interesting you should say that i mean So from my personal experience, I spent three years training three times every single morning, five o'clock every morning down the gym, plus I played rugby two or three times a week. And I decided that after bulking, I decided to try and cut. So I cut out as much of the carbs as I could. I lived on high protein, a lot of vegetables. And admittedly, I felt great. The weight loss and the fat stripping was brilliant but I really, really struggled with energy, especially when my job was quite demanding at the time, plus you're doing a lot of Mm. physical activity. So from what you're saying, it's really a case of feed your body, firstly based on what your body's preference is, because you're not going to be able to flick, flick a switch and get it to change to burning different fuel sources, but also feed your body based on the environment that you're in. And if you are working long hours and you're burning thousands of calories walking, you know, if you're front of house, you could easily do 20 miles in a day, then you need to ensure that you've got the right level of carbohydrates to keep that slow and steady release going. But uh, I mean, that's from not being a nutritionist, only from personal experience. Would you say that's a fairly, fairly good summary?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a really in sports nutrition, there's a good term, which is fuel for the work required. Um so if you've got quite high intensity stuff coming up, then you want to be fueling almost entirely on carbohydrates because they're quicker releasing and they're more available for your body. And by carbohydrates, I'd say, you know, actually quick release carbohydrates. Um I think for hospitality it makes sense to uh the hospitality profession that is. Uh it makes sense to have a good blend. They're going to be, their body's going to be comfortable running on both. But I think being too dominant to one or the other, between carbs and fats, that is, is probably not ideal. I think if you're primarily running on carbohydrates off of, say, a pre service meal, then you probably will manage to go through them by the end of service, probably and have a bit of a lull. If you run entirely on fats, you may find that those first three hours you've got nothing, and generally you may just feel like you don't have the sort of snap and and the uh, let's go um, kind of energy to you. Having actually a bit of a, a moderate blend of both, not going super high in carbohydrates, probably fairly fairly slow release in an ideal world, and not super high in fats or low in fats, it's probably going to give you the best environment. Um, and again, protein being fairly slow releasing as well uh, and satiating because the last thing you want is, is uh, members of staff because it, it can become psychological. You know, If you're hungry, then you're more likely to feel like you're flagging. If you're not hungry, then you can probably power through. I think we've all had those um, those moments where you've been so busy and so almost like adrenaline-fueled that you've just gone, 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 and you don't even notice that you you could do with some food, and you're not hungry, and you're not flagging, but give you five minutes to have a little chill, and you're like, whoa, I'm quite hungry, actually, and then suddenly the lull comes, and it's almost that psychological of like, I now feel hungry, and therefore I should probably be tired, and your mind can trick your body in both directions sort of thing. It's also...
1: It's a great point, but it's, it is also biological. Uh, and this is what I think that, that, that people who are listening to this need to understand is that when cortisol and stress is flooding your body, your stomach actually shuts down. They're a part mm. of your body that shuts down to reserve energy so that you can run the fuck away from that threat or you yeah. can attack it. And that's all that stress is. And our bodies are machines designed to give us optimum performance in that moment based on the air environment. That's what we are. We're just, we're just carbon life forms. You take all the bullshit away. That's what we are. So when you don't feel hungry during service, it's not usually because, oh, you've tried this or you've, you've tasted that. It's because your body's in a high state of stress. And, and so what you're saying yeah. is as soon as your body starts to recover and everything starts to normalize a little bit, that's when all of a sudden your stomach wakes up and goes, oh, fuck, I'm hungry. And then it goes, oh, wait, I don't oh, the energy.
0: Yeah, massively. So like, you know, I know it's it's really, really common for uh, chefs and uh, front of house to have major munchies post-service. Um, like get home, eat an absolute boatload of crap, basically. Um, and I see it with, with my clients as well. It's something that I have to sort of smack out of them. I'll have clients who say, yeah, I, j- I just I didn't actually eat anything until 5 p.m. because I, sh- I sat down at my desk and I just went for the day. I'm like, yeah, but what did you eat at 5 p.m.? Because I- I'm not really seeing that you dropped a boatload of weight this week or-, or body fat. So I'm assuming that you ate some really fucking bad shit from 5 p.m. onwards. Um, and they probably did because you've just gone from huge cortisol fight or flight for the whole day, running off caffeine, so we're extra stimulated, to, like, obviously, so a massive um, hunger deficit, essentially, or calorie deficit, um, you've been stressed the whole day, so we've probably w- worn down sort of um, willpower state, um, and now, finished all this work, All oh, right, yeah, well, I'm definitely going to get a takeaway now, um, or I'm going to pop via the kebab shop, or whatever it is. Um, So sometimes eating despite not being hungry. So say you might have chefs, for example, who have a break between lunch and dinner service, and they may still be in a high cortisol state. They may not have that drop off massively. And therefore, appetite regulation may not be there or hunger regulation may not be um, really high. Um, So they might want to go and... Oh, sorry. They should, regardless of that, go and eat something. Uh, and they should make sure that they are eating something, regardless of whether they feel like it or not. That, that's a, right. I've not really eaten anything since breakfast or even, you know, they may have gone into lunch service without having breakfast, even. Um, I need food, regardless of whether I'm hungry. I need to eat now. And it's probably eating now is going to stop them from eating like a bell end later in the night, basically because um, they've actually eaten okay throughout the day versus their normal Um no surprise for someone doing a really stru- high stress st- service running on fumes that they then eat stuff that's going to have them feeling pretty bad the next day
1: mm. yeah especially as your body starts to starts to <clears throat> use it and digest it or like if it is you know for me my go-to is a pizza and, you know, if I've had a busy day, I can't be bothered to cook because either A, I've been cooking or B, it's just been too busy. So I'll go for pizza because why? Oh, it's easy. I can eat it in the morning as well. So not only are you eating it at night, but you wake up for breakfast, you're having pizza. And no wonder yeah. you find that's, uh, that next service. And so you're self-perpetuating. But talk to me a little yeah. bit, Jake, as well, because one thing we haven't mentioned is the relationship between alcohol, not just on our physical performance and our health, but also on our mental health. How much of a thing is that with your clients?
0: It's pretty big. And I have to be really careful personally. Um, I. That I don't sort of. Perpetuate my bias. Onto my clients. Which is that. Alcohol. Doesn't make me feel good. And I'm actually a very happy drunk. Like I don't have any issues with anything like that. Um, But I have a great time. When I drink. Uh, But. I don't sleep well and i generally get sort of the higher anxiety more depressive state etc etc from when i drink uh so i am not quite teetotal but i don't drink much um and it's not really to do with you know i'm a nutritionist personal trainer all that stuff it's it Early on, I restricted it a little bit more from a, a body composition point of view and performance point of view. Um, and then I think my body got more sensitive to alcohol by drinking it less often uh, and started throwing its toys out the prime a little bit more when I did drink. And subsequently, so I think I basically turned myself into like a mid-30s kind of person in like my mid-20s because um, I basically feel the same as what all my sort of middle-aged clients say they feel like, oh, the hangovers are worse and blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah. I have to be careful because, uh, you know, you don't want to just apply your own biases. I uh, talked about being evidence-based with nutrition and fitness. And that means not just using an N equals one, not just using, I feel this when I do this, so you feel that as well, so you shouldn't do it. Um, but as a general rule, clients that drink a lot, tend to struggle more with their mental health and clients that drink moderately do notice a difference from a energy level point of view from a uh i guess you know so when basically when they drink versus when they don't they 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 will report that they notice the difference from a mental health point of view anxiety depression um food choices as well um, but sleep's probably the biggest one. We we are quite hot on sleep as a company. And it, it's just, probably just the thing that takes the biggest hammering. Uh, and I wonder how much of the effects of alcohol are actually due to the sleep uh, deficit that we create. Um, so even if you drink enough to knock yourself out for the night, we know that that quality of sleep is, is, is seriously poor. Um, so... Uh, In short, it has a huge effect. Um, Do I think that it means that everyone should stop drinking? No. Um, I think a lot of people drink for enjoyment and drink just to take a slight edge off. Um, But I think we have to be careful. And it's something that I would bring up with all clients is, uh, are we medicating with alcohol? Uh, Because we don't want to medicate with alcohol and we don't want to medicate with food. Uh, So as a nutritionist, I have to have conversations with people. Are we medicating with food? Are you feeling anxious and eating to try and cover that up? Are we feeling stressed and medicating with wine to cover that up? Can we actually get to the root of that anxiety, the root of that stress? Why am I feeling like this? Oh, uh, Well, I'm worried that the business is, is, is going to struggle because it's a post-COVID world and blah, blah, blah. Right, write that down. Sit with those feelings map out what you can do about that thing that's stressing you out instead of having it as an ambiguous entity that lives in your brain of oh maybe the business is going to go under right well what can you do to prevent that as an individual go through all of that write it down yeah and it's much more work and it's much more effort and it's you know, on autopilot, just having a few glasses of wine is a lot easier than actually living with these unpleasant thoughts and addressing them. But one's definitely not going to make any difference and potentially, because you're going to feel like shit the next day, make it worse. And one might actually help you to address that stress, anxiety, or whatever, and have it not be a problem anymore.
1: What you're saying uh, is really resonating with me at this moment in time because within the space of two weeks, I have gone from what I perceive to be thriving and having a good handle on everything to probably the darkest uh, mood in terms of just general emotion and desire and discipline that I've had since I was perhaps in my late teens when I had depression. And the scary thing about that is that I can recognize exactly what's going on at this moment in time. It's happened within a very short period of time because I feel like I'm out of control at this moment in time. There's so many things that's going on outside uh, that has just taken a lot of energy. Mm. But the interesting thing for me is the, the effort that I have to put in just to have that level of discipline to say, do you know what, today I'm going to go for a 20-minute walk and actually dragging dragging my, my brain and my body out of bed to go for that walk and then making a conscious decision not to chow down on, you know, a burger or on a donut that's quick and easy accessible but having something like, you know, what I was eating a couple of weeks ago which was like, broccoli and carrots and peppers and a bit of corn uh, those chicken chunk corn things I mean it's almost blasphemy in our industry to say that, but <laughs> they hold on to flavor so well and they fill you up but yeah it's it's a real struggle and I think that it's almost self you know a self-fulfilling prophecy if you're not taking the steps that you need to regulate your alcohol intake you know know when enough's enough eat the right levels of food make sure you get the right level of exercise then you're going to end up where i am now which is thinking there's no point to anything at this moment in time so it's mm. it's it's really really difficult because your body has a very and your brain your brain has a very good way of working against you when it doesn't want oh, to massively. do something that's it game like i'm not saying game yeah. over because there is a way out but you have the effort and energy it requires to get that full momentum is unreal
0: yeah, I mean, and I think, I, I I think as a society we have to understand mental health better. Um, my mum's a um, psychotherapist, a, a counsellor, um, and when she started branching into that, I was maybe sixteen, and my impression of mental health was toughen the fuck up, uh, and that was it. Of course it was. I was 16. I'd never had a problem in my life. Um, And sort of over the last 10, 11 years, I've worked with a lot of people who struggled struggled with their mental health. And I've struggled with it myself in a couple of isolated periods. And we have to start to understand that, you know, depression has a real recurring effect on on itself of, of almost... it's almost like you know the film venom the, the tom hardy one it's almost like depression is like venom and it's it's kind of living inside you and it wants to keep keep sort of thriving off you and it it leads you to more depressive activities right i'm gonna socialize less i'm gonna eat worse i'm gonna move less i'm gonna have less fresh air I'm going to do all these things to make you continue to feel as shit as I possibly can, so I continue to, th- so I can continue to thrive in your body. And I think as a society we don't understand that enough, and how hard it is to break that, and how amazing it is when someone is fighting against those things and actively taking those those steps. So you saying, you know, you're you're pushing yourself using all the sort of energy and willpower you have to do these things that you know are going to help sort of reduce those depressive symptoms is amazing because it's so difficult. Um, and you know, how often do you hear someone thankfully a bit less nowadays, but how often do you hear someone like, why didn't they just do something? Why don't they just do this? Like sort of that, those words, why don't they just, because it's really fucking hard that's why.
1: Yeah, yeah. When everything is in your body, your, your motivation, your drive, just your very thought process is, is hampered and it's like someone's put their foot on your head and they're forcing you down into the ground. And I have not, I genuinely, I haven't felt like this. I mean, I talk a lot about mental health and I talk about my own experiences and I've had different mental health issues over the years, but I haven't felt a level of depression like this for a, quite a long period of time. But on a on a positive note, one thing that I did find worked really well for me is I jumped on my road bike last night. I made up every excuse in the book not to go, you know, I had more work, I had, you know, I did 12 hours working yesterday. I had a load of other stuff going on as well. And yeah, I went out for a 45 minute. Just a I think it was only a 10 mile ride on the bike. I say only. That Sorry, that's not to compare me to anyone else. But for me, that was, you know, a a mediocre ride. But I made a recording of my voice. I had spoken to someone on WhatsApp, made a recording before I went on my ride, made a recording to someone else when I came back. And someone listened to both those recordings and they said it was two different people. One person was very you know subdue there was no life in your voice you're very beaten that was it it was like the end of the world then you go away on a bike ride you do some exercise you get those you know serotonin running through your body mm. and your endorphins going and you could you felt like you had a fire in your hand and you know you were ready to go and this isn't to say to anyone like if you're feeling depressed right now or you're struggling with high levels of stress just get off your ass and go because it's not it's not that easy. I get it. I'm, I'm there. I understand. And I've been there a number of times. But just setting those small challenges, like you said about the journaling, you know, writing in the journal. What are the things that I'm concerned about currently? And what am I going to do for myself today? Like, how much water have I drunk? You know, what vitamins have I put into my body? When was the last time I went outside and went for a walk or did some exercise? And I think it's a very good way of putting yourself back into that cycle.
0: mm. Little things, one step at a time. You know, we the clients we work with, we have a um, as part of their check-in process each week. They have a habit checklist, um, so each week they have some basic habits, whether those be to do with health, nutrition, mental health, well-being, um, and it might be that I'm asking them to do a daily gratitude journal. That's quite a, quite a common one. So, um, just write down one thing that you're grateful for each day. And the cumulative effect of that, really basic task. And then it might, so sorry, going off topic, but little things. So like a gratitude journal, have a little keep track of what, how much water you're drinking and get outside once per day. So I've had clients who have, who have gone through depression and they might have three simple tasks like that for the week. Get outside. I don't care what you do. I don't care how far you walk. Outside once a day. Water, water gratitude journal and those are three kind of very different ways of improving mood so the gratitude journal we're reframing our mental state we're looking at things that we can actually be grateful for in our life and it can be as simple like I, i'm not being like i'm grateful because my life's amazing and blah blah blah. literally i'm grateful the sun's shining today i'm grateful that my dog is the most happy-go-lucky little thing in the world or whatever super basic um i'm grateful that my package that i wanted to get delivered today actually got delivered today it can be so simple and the water probably looking at things from more of like a biological standpoint that your body has the um the raw materials it needs to thrive and then fresh air Uh, we know that that's going to take you into more of a parasympathetic state um and that fresh air is just generally really good for us probably going to Reset circadian rhythm and things like that.
1: If you've ever, I don't know about you, but I, I I've watched a lot of TED talks, a lot of TED talks in my time, and um, there's one by a guy named Daniel Amen, who scanned mm. 83,000 brains with an X-ray, or an MRI, wow. sorry. And the reason he did that was because he trained as a psychologist, and then um, he got called up for service when he was much younger and then wanted to do something, so he became an x-ray. And he thought, I wonder whether or not anyone's ever scanned brains before. So he started scanning (laughs) brains, and one thing that he found that was so very interesting was that people who experience mental health issues actually have changes, physical changes to their brain. And by scanning or having an MRI of the brain... This particular individual, Daniel Amen, can recognize what type of mental illness you're experiencing. So doing the things that you're saying, they're no, they're no immediate quick fixes, but you have to build, you have to have a starting platform and doing these small little changes and gradually building them up will start to change, like physically change the way in which your brain works and get you back on more even kill. So it's great advice, Jake, and, and I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from that. In terms of um, your experience having worked with people with hospitality, is there anything else that you think that at this moment in time we, you know, whether it's the fact that we're coming out of COVID and a lot of our bodies aren't used to this high level of, of stress and activity or it's something that you see quite commonly, is there anything else that you think would, would benefit our listeners? I
0: think I think we have to look at things from like a two, two perspective, which is, a business responsibility and a individual responsibility so there's lots of things that individuals can do uh, whether it be making their own food prioritizing some time for exercise if they possibly can or on days that they're they're off uh, and making the most of those days off probably not just involving getting smashed and and maybe going out for food I know a lot of like obviously eating out is going to be a massive part of um, someone who works in, in the hospitality industry's uh, lives, but you know, making time for things that are going to make them feel good and potentially um, be in a better place from a health point of view. So, exercise, um, diet, etc. Um, and from a business point of view, you know, looking at what is the day to day sort of. Uh, Uh, function of your staff looking like are you getting them to go from lunch service to dinner service too quickly are they getting a time to go back into a rest and relaxation state for just a little bit of time to bring them back down and are they getting time to eat some good food and to actually go into that next service in a good place Uh, is that possible for your business and if it's not right now can you make changes for that so uh, someone i was speaking to yesterday we were we were talking and you know i, I know chris you're aware of the uh, hospitality bullshit page uh, something that's quite close to me living in edinburgh because of of the um uh, individual who's been most prominent on it um and what we were talking about is that actually sticking your head above the parapet in the hospitality industry is very difficult There is a very you know this is how it's done and this is how we do it and this is how it's been done and the speed and stress involved in the industry makes it very hard to stick your head above the parapet and go wait a second is what we're doing right are we looking after our staff are we doing the right things and this this lady was saying she she has her own restaurants that you know COVID gave them a chance to have a little look at some of the things they were doing and and maybe have some different hours and that they'd been inspired by listening to your podcast and hearing what some people were doing. Um, And that, you know, rightly or wrongly as well, the hospitality bullshit page was for her and for others, giving them a right kick up the arse to go, actually that could be business game over if, Things aren't handled the right way, and and then they're um, spun in a certain direction, mm. um, in on a public public forum, and it and 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 it made her stop and go. You know, am I looking after my staff? Am I stimulating them in the right way? Are they getting enough time? Um, and it was as simple as they're a four day week, and it's a long day those four mm. days, um, and it's as simple as saying uh, we've got this stuff in some yogurts and some fruit to have in between the mise en place um, in the morning before lunch service and you know, help yourself. They're provided like we're providing them for you and um, take your time to eat them in this sort of, you know, it, I say take your time, but we've got five or 10 minutes, you know, um, don't wolf it while still continuing chopping a carrot or whatever. Um, mm. And then really actually starting to pay a bit more attention to their staff meal before dinner service. And she's saying, you know, it's not easy because uh, they've got two restaurants and uh, fairly new-ish business. It's doing well, but it's new-ish and the momentum's going well and they want to just keep going and keep pushing and they're opening a new site and they want to, you know, now they want to do X differently and they want to push the direction of this. And how much energy does that take? And then stopping going. Actually, this thing that has on paper no business, like return on investment, on paper. Yeah, spend more time on staff meal. Yeah, but I don't make any revenue from that. That's difficult. And you know, I know that you've you've done some. um, uh, You've got your 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 calculations on uh, the amount of money it takes to rechain a staff member versus keeping them and. you know i would say add into that the amount of money that you make by happy staff putting more work in getting more creative dishes getting better executed dishes subsequently a better customer experience who tell more people about the experience they've had so you're always full so you know and and we can spin it in a business direction cuz that's what's going to need to be that's mm-hmm. how it's going to need to be for some people i'm a business person myself i i like making money i like my business doing well i like Being able to grow the business, and that's fun and that's good. And we want to create great lives for our families, and all these things. But you know, so spinning them back in that direction, I get it. Um, so putting some attention on the staff meal, putting some attention on how likely are my staff to be feeling good right now? Am I just grinding them into the dust? Because I think the beauty of this podcast and this whole project, and also things like the hospitality bullshit page is that they are right here and now saying to this profession, things can't be done in a way that makes people feel shit. Spin it however you want, but people need to feel good. And my message from a business point of view would be as a business owner, think, am I actually looking after my staff in the hours, in the food that I provide, in the time that I provide for them to eat that food uh, and in the way that i make them feel by making that time and and, and that food available for them because i know how common it is for it to just be staff meal is almost like just the stuff that gets sent back from the from the restaurant um and that's not yeah, how does that make your staff feel not great
1: yeah valuing them and as you say the this this hospitality bullshit page has has driven a message which has been long outstanding in this industry which is that the hospitality profession is at this moment in time an industry that's not equal and it's not fair compared to other industries uh, where the burnt chef project sits with regards to this is that we are the solution we provide mm. you with yes. the free training like the nutrition training that we've just launched on the burnt chef academy the ma- mental health training the managers training the you know, writing bullying policy documents. And so Mm. I think rather than be at loggerheads with anyone else who wants to see a change in this industry, we need to be working together for a sustainable industry because this is the whole reason why this started back in what May 2019 is because I've worked in many different industries and none are quite like this. None are as Mm. beautiful and as exhilarating as the hospitality industry, but none are as fair and equal on the people that work uh, in it compared to other industries. So I think it's now, now's the time we're at the, we're at the, the start of something great. But as you said earlier, it's rather than looking at how things have been done and just going along with it, it is a case and it's going to take many more of us to be able to put our hands up and go, actually, do you know what? Fucking hell, I've got this wrong and rather than those people who have had it wrong in the past being chastised and dragged through the streets, we should now look at those people and go, have you, know, you've changed, you've, you've identified the areas that are of concern. You acknowledge the fact that what you, you know, what you've learned and the behaviors that you've had have been incorrect and they've been damaging. Those are the stories that we need to be telling. Um, so, thank you for bringing
0: that up as well. Very topical. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think, uh, I, th- I, th- I think like my my tiny bit of two cents on it is is people just don't like hypocrisy. That's the only thing people don't like. And, you know, I listened to having consumed all of that content of you know how terribly these people. I listened to staff canteen podcast with Daniel Clifford on it. And he said, you know, I was an absolute monster. I was horrible. I wouldn't want my children or anyone else's children to work for me or anyone like me. And you go, yeah, okay. So you were a dick and you say you're a dick and you were horrible to work for and you say that. And I don't want to go back and drag that up and go, what a terrible person. How could he have behaved like that? I just go, I'm really glad that he's changed and he's learned his lesson. If that's what's happened. As with en- anything in, in life, when someone says they're great and then they're not, that's more difficult. Um, but that's, how,
1: that's how the Burnshare podcast so. is. And I've always said, you know, even the early days when someone said, oh, you know, what happens if you get someone on who doesn't practice what they preach? And I said, well, they're coming mm. into the public domain. If it turns out that they've come on and that they said that they're treating their staff like royalty and that they are the best employer in the world, and all of their team hear that and actually get in contact and say they're not then
0: that person has then set themselves a standard that they need to be responsible for so totally and that's that's not your responsibility is it like you can't come on and go well i fact checked all that and actually you don't do this and you don't do that Uh, you know podcasts and social media and all these things are you know domains where you hope that people speak the truth um especially mm. interviews um because as you say you know people are going to figure that out one way or another yeah, exactly um and it's i wouldn't say it's up to you to to be responsible for what people say i mean people people may cut may, people may come out after this interview and be like jake van hoff is the worst nutritionist he cares nothing for my mental health he tells me all the time to just suck it up and yeah well so, thanks Jake. I'm,
1: I'm glad that my fact checking in and, and my research on you is has been wasted. Uh, great. Uh, so this episode won't be going live, but no, it's been it's it's been interesting for me. It's been interesting speaking to someone who isn't in the hospitality industry, uh, but has a great interest in it. And obviously, you know, you know, you've done your research. You know what you're talking about. And thank you for that. Um, you know, especially from an outsider's point of view, so to speak. And yeah, if our listeners wanted to find you, where's the best place that they can they can get hold of you for for more info?
0: Um, so, my Instagram is very much uh, you know um, driven towards what I do and I guess my own own fitness and nutrition journey as well, um, and that's Jake at Beyond Fitness Coaching. Oh, no, that's my email. My bad. <laughs> Jake underscore beyond fitness coaching. Um, and my email is jacob at beyond fitness coaching dot uk. Uh, if anyone wanted to pop me a message and, uh, even just ask anything about their own business. Um, I'd be happy to, happy to chat to them. Um, or their own experience uh, as an individual, even, um, I'd be more than happy to chat to them. That'd be great. Thank you, um,
1: yeah. mate. I mean, we're we're at the cusp of a radical change in this industry, where it's about to get a whole lot better. I think um, once we get through this transition pay- phase. So you know, do use Jake if you liked what you've heard today and you want to learn more. Then use Jake. Check out the academy. There's information on there as well. And design something that's new and innovative and that's designed to focus on your team as as. Uh, the greatest asset within your business. So, um, Jake, thanks very much for joining us today.
0: Cheers. Thanks Dave. very much for having me.
1: Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Burnt Chef Journal. If you haven't yet checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources. Free access to our training app as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week and I'll see you again soon.